Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 42. I'm your ghost. Oh, I'm your ghost. I'm your host. Let's try that again. This is Minute 42. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my good-looking, admirable, and eloquent guest co-host, Brent Stillo. Welcome, Brett. Well, I called you Brent there. Welcome. No! Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> no. no oh my gosh that's a good that's a good uh that's a good flynn impression right there no that's uh perfect so this is and that's a that's a that's a i think that's that's the theme of minute 42 but yes well it's, hi there's Duncan. two hello there there's two <laughs> themes i guess maybe we should touch on the minute 42 being the uh the secret to existence life the universe and everything <laughs> and then uh and you know we get a character's death in this in this minute. So, so let's see. Yeah, in this minute we get uh, rest in peace, Crom, and Flynn gets taken to the light cycle pilot holding pit where he sees Tron and Ram. And and in between we have Warner, not yeah, Sark. The, Warner. Beautiful, beautiful Warner happening there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but more, but but. I jump ahead. We yeah, this so, is this yeah. is a great minute and I'm I I I I don't want to be a spoil sport, but uh, you know, I love this movie. I think it has a few problems and I I, I feel like there's a, a few of those little problems come up here. But Okay, uh, interesting. Okay, we'll get cool. to that. I'm, yeah, I'm down to hear it. I do want to mention that the movie I was thinking about uh the last time we talked, and I couldn't remember the name of it, that Cherry 2000 movie that I got mixed up with uh was Galaxina. Yeah, star, yeah. Dorothy Stratton in, yeah. 19, in 1980. Awful, awful, awful film. It it That's, may uh, yeah. I I think that might be worse than Cherry 2000. And Cherry 2000, uh, you know, there there ain't much there to like, to no. be honest with you. And you know, no. Galaxina, uh, that's that's a rough one. That's, that's a, a that's a rough one. one. Yeah. It's uh it's 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 my least favorite Avery Shriver movie too. So. <laughs> All right, so in this minute, uh, Flynn continues to gaze up at the ceiling like, uh, you know, so is anybody going to help this guy? What's going on? I don't. I think he's just starting to get that this is gladiatorial combat to the death. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, Sark shoves two of his bridge crew out of the way. It cuts to the interior of Sark's carrier, and uh, he shoves two of his bridge crew out of the way and yells down at Flynn, Finish the game! Which yeah. is uh, just the best... And I, I mentioned this in an earlier minute. I'm like I'm a I'm a computer animator for video games, and uh, getting into animation in no small part because of seeing this movie as a kid. But when we're crunching on a game with lots of overtime and stuff like that, this often goes through my head. Uh, this just David Warner saying, "Finish the game." Yeah, <laughs> finish the game. I, I'm it's sure. Just... I'm sure you've. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, it's just got so much power. Yeah, like, yeah. It's something that Cindy Morgan. Uh, remarks too because she's like there's a bit in the cell later on in the movie where uh david warner says like you know take them to the holding pit or something and cindy morgan was just kind of like i was literally scared i was actually (laughs) scared like i had no problem getting into the role in that moment because david warner in his ridiculous getup was super imposing and terrifying yeah yeah amazing actor bad costume and yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a high concept costume you know it's, like on a on a lesser act it would have dragged a lesser actor down yeah but instead he elevates the costume yeah not a bit i mean not not a just a, uh i i see the idea but it's it's the execution but first you know i'm sure in the past 39 or so episodes you you've talked about mr warner but i gotta talk about mr warner let's do it yeah because i'm just a a huge david warner fan always have i can't remember what i saw when i was a kid but i uh i've just always liked uh david warner a lot and he's just i mean he's a perfect he's the consummate uh english bad guy um you know it's uh it's no accident that the year before he plays evil in the time bandits personified yeah and you know terry gilliam i remember at the time he just jokes that, yeah, I mean, who else is going to play evil but David Warner? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, uh, you know, he's uh, he's just perfect. And he's just, you know, there's this, 
make what make of it what you will, but there's this whole tradition, particularly in American movies, of British yeah. bad guys. It's that yeah. accent. It's that you know. It's well, it's, even uh, even Steven Lisberger in the director's commentary, he says, "Yeah, you know, I'm guilty. I uh, I just did the the British bad guy trope." You know, that's what I got. But you got David Warner, who's incredible, so I don't feel bad about it because it works yeah. really well. But yeah, yeah, I did. He, you know, he acknowledges like, yeah, there we go, British bad guy. You know, and Star Wars, you know, ideal whatever. British bad guy. And you know, I, I think it's funny because you look at David Warner. He has he has a he has kind of a nice face. Yeah, uh, he reminds me of the the younger actor who plays Ron Weasley. And it's sort of sure, like he could, yeah. yeah, he could have played Ron Weasley's dad or his grandfather, and he kind of has this 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 kind, rubbery face, but yeah. he just has that. He gets that 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 glare and that scowl, and yeah. he's just yeah. so you know. Well, his childhood to... wasn't his childhood wasn't that great. Like his parents oh. split up, and and he bounced around from city to city, and eventually wound up in an acting school. Like he he really he didn't have. Uh, from the research I've done, it seems like his his he's kind of had a rootless, um, lonely life as a child, and that I think affected. Like he can go to that place easy, okay. but he stopped. Like he stopped taking villain roles because he, that's all he got, and he was like, "I don't, I'm not that guy." No, I play I play it really well, but I'm not that guy, so I don't want to. He's in a place now, I guess, where he can say no, no, thank you. Good, good. I did. One, one of my favorite bits of, of David Warner trivia is, to the best of my knowledge, he survived. No, he didn't survive, but he's he's been on the Titanic twice. The uh, literal Titanic? Well, not or literally movie, the Titanic, but he's been, oh, he's yeah. been in no, two yeah. Titanic in movies. movies. Uh, and, uh, you know, the second one, of course, is the one that made a little bit of money. Where, yeah, yeah. And that, that's that, yeah. surprise, uh, a surprise indie film smash hit. Yeah, Titanic. yeah. And I think that might have been one of his last bad guy roles, and he's so yeah. Uh, he's kind of dialing it in in that one. It's like, oh, you want me to be the bad guy? All right. And he almost seems to be sort of like, oh, uh, you want me to beat up DiCaprio? Okay, all right, I'll do that. But uh, uh, about yeah. about ten fifteen years earlier, there was a big TV movie, uh, American TV movie called Titanic. Oh, okay. And uh, if you like David Warner. You should check this out because he plays uh, a soft-spoken. Uh, I think he's a librarian or, or something like that. But he's. You, you figure, oh, maybe this is more like what David Warner's really like. But there's this. Uh, I'll go ahead and play a little spoilers. He he, uh, you know, he meets a, a shy woman on the Titanic. They're just. It's kind. This movie is kind of a like love boat with an iceberg so there's okay. a lot of little stories going on and yeah so there's a little romance between these two kind of quiet shy people and uh he and he and the uh and the female uh lead survive in the end you know they're one of the few survivors so it's just not it's really nice seeing david warner in a non-scowling role yeah and he well, gets I, I, yeah like i get the feeling i'd love to just sit down with him and have him tell me all about I don't know, the history of British libraries or something like that. Like right. Just talk to me for like four hours and I'd be like, oh, that's fantastic. Right. That's very interesting. Thank yeah. you very much. You know? Yeah. It's, I mean, I get it. He does play an excellent bad guy, but yeah. it must be a little frustrating because he's obviously got way more range than that. You kind of hope, you never know, but you kind of hope he's he follows the, the form of... Uh, you know, so many great British bad guys, you know, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, you always hear about what super nice guys they were and just utter gentlemen and, yeah. you know, Chris, you know, Peter Cushing kissing young Carrie Fisher's hand on the set and said, oh, my dear, I'm so sorry I have to put the handcuffs on you and uh, <laughs> and all yeah. that. And these, you know, just like these really nice guys who can just push that button and, yeah. uh, you know, turn into, uh, you know, absolute monsters. And, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's dry, what's high status monsters. Yeah, and that's you know Sark in this scene uh, is such a monster. But yeah, let's 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 talk about the costume. Yeah, well, the costume's pretty. He's got those like drafting tool wings on the side of his head. A lot of people say that's kind of like a Kirby Kirby esque yeah kind of look can, to it. You know, yeah. Again, it, it probably also, yeah. yeah, it probably looked great as a sketch, but putting it on. Uh, do you remember well, they, Fat they, Albert and the know, Cosby Kids? 
well, they this, those long wings on his head, like they wiggle when he turns around, yeah. right? Like in a in a concept, yeah, concept wise, you'd like, oh, they're rigid, you know, they're they're cool, but they're obviously made of stiff cardboard, you know, yeah, or something something yeah. like that. So it's yeah, like, I, I saw, I, I remember Fat Albert. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like Dumb Donald's uh, ski hat that he wears. <laughs> it's kind of fo- it looks like it's made of wool. I mean, it probably is like foam rubber or something like that. I mean, I homemade balaclava. Yeah, and I, you know, they're the design, the look of it. It's yeah, they're going for some kind of a Darth Vader helmet. Yeah, I think yeah, this but is also yeah. yeah. It's like futuristic gladiator. Like he's got the chin protection. Yeah, he's got the sort of framed face. It's like a helmet, and it's also like a cowl, you know. And it's got the wings on the side. So yeah, there's a lot of cowl. elements, you know, a lot of yeah. elements that are being sort of brought together to yeah. result in some futuristic thing with echoes of the past. And I think for the most part, it works. But yeah, yeah. It's, again, I mean. Yeah, this it's movie a has testament to David yeah. Warner. Yeah, totally. I mean, the movie has great production design. There's so much that's just classic and iconic, but yeah. not that helmet. Not that helmet, I guess not. Right? It's yeah. bold. Yeah, I admire its audacity. You know, it's uh, bold. I think also it. Uh, you know, again, we're talking about what a great actor David Warner is. I think if he'd have had, you know, if if I was doing this movie, because I know everything, I would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, given Sark, uh, you know, some kind of an electronic halo, like, you know, laurel wreaths that oh, Caesar now you're wear. talking. Oh, geez, that would be great. And it could have been like some elaborate headset. And, you know, I'm even jumping ahead. It could have been uh, cybernetic. You know, pic- picture Patrick Stewart as Locutus, the Borg. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, so something like that would have been cool. But, that would know, have been cool because, yeah, he's getting all juiced up. Like the MCP is giving him a bunch of energy and a bunch of juice. Yeah. And it would have been it would have been cool if that was represented in more than just a glow. I mean, it, it gets represented really well at the uh, crescendo of the film. But if he actually had some kind of implants or some kind of equipment on his armor or like a robot eye or something was some part of him had been transformed you know, as a as a result of all the power that's been uh, been given to him. Yeah, but be a good idea. A nit, a nitpicky thing, um, but it just yeah, it just looks like Warner put that on. Uh, I mean, you know, you're you live in Canada, you know what a cold day is like. It just looks like you know, oh, it's 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 cold. I'm gonna protect my ears. Yeah. And, Aside uh, from the tights, all the guards they look like they're wearing uh, you know winter gear. They look like they're all stuffed with pillows. Like a very warm, very warm crew on that set. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, but still, he's he's selling it. Um, he's selling it. But uh, and Flynn. Uh, so, if well, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, 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 no go ahead, go ahead. I'll I'll catch okay. up. Okay, Flynn gets the message that this is to the death. He gets he's like, oh, I see. And so he, like you said at the top, he screams a a frankly majestic no up at yeah. the ceiling. Yeah. Like, no. And yeah. Uh, and the music of Wendy Carlos is powering over it all. Yeah. And then Sark calmly says, "Kill him." <laughs> and you know, Crom Crom looks up like, uh, "What's going on here? Why are these guys debating it? Am I maybe gonna get out of this? Am I maybe gonna get out?" <laughs> and then uh, Flynn says, "No," quietly and more resolutely as he tilts his energy ball out of his cesta, which is a little bit of a weird moment because he brings his arm scoop up in front of him and dumps the ball out right in front of him which i think would land on the platform that he's standing on yeah and de- yeah. and de-res it and presumably you know send him down to uh to a bottomless drop yeah. death but you know whatever it just i guess it just disappears when it leaves his uh yeah there's a there's a couple see that the, there's a couple of weird moments here that that, that bother me a little bit yeah. I think, yeah, in our previous minute, we had uh, a really nicely choreographed action scene. Everything's great. I think here, the the impression I get is, uh, you know, with this elaborate special effects movie, maybe Jeff Bridges isn't quite sure what's going on. You know, he's being right. explained that Crom is dangling for his life and... Um, uh, you know, no no offense to Steve Lisberger, but you figure, you know, first time director. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bridges seems a little 
lost here in terms of, you know, that, that no kind of comes from out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like he's yeah. totally ramped up. And I feel like, uh, you know, he just went with, you know, maybe a simple direction, you know, show, show your, you know, you're agitated here. You're, you're defiant. And like, I, I'm picturing maybe Bridges saying, could you give me a little bit more here? Like, where am I coming yeah. from? And what am I doing? Exactly? Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Cause, uh, there's the no, uh, which again, just kind of said like, where, where did that come from? Yeah. He doesn't even know. It Krom does come out well. of nowhere. It's yeah. true. It's true. And then the, yeah, the drop in the ball and the, no, uh, if it, yeah. It doesn't uh, really fit. They don't quite fit. And, you know, I'm imagining again, you know, I wonder if Peter Jurassic was even in the room. You know, he's got to imagine no, I, yeah, I don't, all this. I don't think he was. Yeah. But Steven Lisberger really does say that um, a lot of these scenes, the actors were filmed separately and composited together. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 you know, one of the problems of the movie by minute format is you watch the minute again and again and again, and you start to, yeah. to See notice, you know, you, you become in a sense like an editor and you go over a, a shot or a scene and you kind of yeah. notice the, uh, you're, you're, you're taking a deep dive on the movie that was never meant to be viewed under this kind of microscope. So there's all these cracks that if you only saw it once in the theater, you might not even notice. Right, or it would just drift by you. But watching it a minute at a time like this, you're like, "Whoa, that's a that's a glaring error. That's a, yeah. Oh boy, that's a huge misstep." And you're like, "Well, not really." But yeah, you know, when you're looking at it under this magnification, and then, yeah, just it's you know, Flynn is so cool in forty and forty one, and he loses his cool, and it just it just yeah. doesn't seem like Flynn. It's like true. I yeah, I feel like Flynn would say, "Hey, man." Yeah. Or like, something we were just like playing. that. Yeah, what's up? You know, but that's maybe that's a little too comical or self-referential. I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, it does make me wonder. I think part of the problem I have with just that one line is it's such a cliche now. Oh, you know? it's it was a cliche then. Yeah, you know, like it's uh, screaming a no is just. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's filmmaking one on one. Like they were probably doing that in the fifties. Yeah. You know, I it did. It did make me wonder. I mean, the the obvious one is Mark Hamill in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, and that's a pretty good one, actually. No, that's a, that's a that, solid. That's a real solid. No. Yeah, but you know, I ca- I can't recall anybody doing that. You know, scream no in an earlier movie. I'm sure they were there, but. You know, yeah, and, I'm not familiar with it, but there yeah. might, might have been one in like the Blob or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we could, you know, or the Fly would be a good, good research. I wonder if anybody's done a supercut of people screaming no in movies. I'll bet you someone should do it. Yeah. Hey, film students, Somebody get should. on that. Hey, film but, students, uh, get on that. Yeah, but I feel like yeah, by the '80s, it's becoming just a go-to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As I recall, in I'm going to get you, sucker. Mm-hmm. Uh. Uh, one of the Wayans brothers parodies that, and he goes, "No!" <laughs> like he's he is not in slow motion, and he's not reverbed, but he's just doing "No!" And then right. uh, also Stephen Colbert, uh, he he did a I re, I can't remember when or where, but he did. There's the slow motion no that right. uh, became Vogue in the 90s. And I remember him doing a, no. Yeah, like that. that's so, right. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Great actor, great movie. Just one little goofy moment. That One little goofy moment. It's a, I it's despise. A, it's a beautiful no. But, yeah. yeah, you know, it, I mean, it, 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 there is the energy. It does pump There's up the, the energy, moment. Yeah. But he kind of goes from, hey, this, it's this guy I just met in the cubicle a while ago. and uh, yeah. Now, yeah. you know, he's my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Sark says, um, you'll regret this. And Flynn turns away thinking that, yeah, I'll regret it. I'll get a spanking or whatever. But I've won this argument. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, they're, they'll, we'll both go back to the cell and we'll all have a laugh about this or whatever. Sure. And then, but then uh, Sark presses a big green button, which is the color of Crom's half of the arena. 
and with a very sweet sound of like a like a broken modem or something highly distorted like that, the rings that Krom are holding onto glow and disappear, leaving Krom to fall to his doom as he disappears in gold energy trails during his descent down the bottomless pit beneath the arena with a amazing scream. A yeah, sweet, sweet scream. Yeah, and that's... it's pretty it's pretty graphic in its own way, you know. Yeah, it's it's a great effect. It's I think the scream really sells it. Because really yeah. uh, Crom's demise is is kind of pretty. It's yeah. a, you know, it's this great, you know, this great sparkly shooting yeah. star. You know, you know, it's it's everything we love about this movie, effects wise. Yeah. Uh you know, that's it's it's kind of like oh, I wish they'd have done that in Logan's Run. You know, when yeah, everyone's on exactly. the carousel, and yeah, that's renew, the, renew, yeah, yeah, exactly. rather than just cheap fireworks. This would have been way better. Yeah, so the the flash is great. The uh, the scream, you know, totally sells it. Uh, and again, this is where I have a little a little problem, and I, I think it's just a uh, what we've been talking about the past two. Episodes. I think I think you and I are going to be on a uh, yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. Like, let's, what's what's the what's the next little problem? You have? Yeah, and I think it's yeah another little problem I have. God, I'm <laughs> such a jerk. Uh, is, no, me too. I yeah. get it. But it's you know I think it's again it's it's. You're on this. You're on a soundstage. You're working with things you don't see. Uh, you know, the, Flynn is is horrified by the awful thing he sees. Deeply uh, horrified. Yeah, it's like, oh, that was. You know, it's like, yeah, but it's just. Uh, you know, uh, you can picture uh, the director saying, "Okay, you, you, Crom suffers a horrible fate." Oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. Horrible fate. Oh, oh, it was terrible. Maybe yeah. you know you you mentioned the the spiked, uh, the spikes at the bottom of the pit. Maybe the idea was uh, he was going to get impaled on impaled a impaled or, or sliced or diced. Or yeah, like he that. was going to get it. But it's you know it's it's a Disney movie, so Crom has a real yeah. clean finish. Because yeah, Flynn reacts here like he just saw him get run over in slow motion or something. Like he's just yeah. seen him get stabbed through the eye or something. Like he's just seen something a horrifying death, but it's a beautiful gold shower of sparks. Like would yeah. he even know, would he even know what he just saw? No, like there's this, you know, big musical sting. Like he's just seen somebody died. He turns away almost, almost biting his knuckle, you know, like, <gasps> you know, and, uh, it's, it's like, well, yeah, but you don't know that that's a, that's not even, it seems like it's a quick death. It's a pretty death. And you might not even know that it's a death. But you're looking at it like you just saw a, a horrifying death. So yeah, I agree that he was given direction. Okay, your opponent just died and be yeah. horrified, and yeah, so he and did. It's, uh, yeah, but it doesn't, just, doesn't quite work. Nah, not not quite. But it's just, it's a little. It's just a little. I wouldn't even call it a flub. But you know, again, you you watch yeah the same minute seventy five times, and you suddenly <laughs> say, yeah, that doesn't. You know, for all we know, Crom reappeared at the beginning of the game. Yeah, right. And uh, so Sark, meanwhile, gets a a huge close up on his eyes. Oh, yeah. Massive close up on his eyes. And uh, he does some eye acting here when he gets a bright idea. His eyes flick over to the red button that'll do the same to Flynn's half of the arena. And he reaches toward it. But just as he's about to press it, he stops. And we hear the MCP stay in an echoey voice. I want him in the games until he dies playing. Now I always took this to be a flashback to what he said earlier, yeah, like in a non in a non diegetic way. But the MCP up till this point has been diegetic and actually saying this stuff out loud. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's it's a. You, is it like is he is the MCP actually speaking here? I guess. Yeah, I got the impression it was the MCP, but yeah, this is where you know, in the movie. Another little problem with the film, I think, is it's a little confusing because yeah. you've got Sark and Dillinger and yeah. uh, Sark and the MCP. And, you know, the MCP is voiced by David Warner. So, yeah, it's that same uh, confusion that you mentioned, you know, is, is yeah, because that could easily be a, uh, like a flashback. Hey, remember when I said that in scene 24? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, again, a, a, a small problem with the movie is, uh, you know, who, where does where does Dillinger start and Sark and, you know, I mean, in a sense, 
Everybody's playing two roles in this, but David Warner's playing yeah. three roles. Yeah, he's played three roles. It's, uh, he's been in a couple movies where he's played three roles. Ah, okay. So he was he was the right man for the job. Right man for case. the job. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, again, a minor bit. But I got you know I got to go back that extreme close up, which yeah. um, is you know again I think it's uh, it 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 almost looks like something from an art film. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it just kind of adds to the you know it's a very interesting visual movie. And uh, again, they get just that. You know, you get a whole face full of David Warner, which is great. Yeah. Well, in the, in the creator's commentary, the director there, Michael Lisberger, he talks about how, again, with those 65 millimeter cameras, they have a very uh, narrow plane of focus. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, and so, like, earlier in the close-ups in Flynn's apartment, uh, the characters had to have Mike stands shoved up the back of their coats <laughs> so that they would stay right there. Like don't don't lean forward, don't lean back, stay right there, especially on the close ups. But then this, you know, this extreme close up where it's just his eyes filling up the entire screen, the the DOP would ask Lisberger, like, now do you want the front of the eyes in focus? Or like, you know, the back of the eye, or like wow. the medium <laughs> the medium part of the eye, you know. That's some tight focus. Face. Yeah, that's that's, that's some intense. tight focus. Or if the if the actor wasn't completely facing the camera head on, you know, the DOP would be like, "Do you want the left eye in focus, or do you want the right eye in focus?" You know, like just wild questions like that that you really had to take into account when you were shooting. Which is like that's that's pretty intense. Very much, and it's it's uh, like it's out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, you know, we have yeah. these these two planets that are his eyeballs. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I like that shot a lot. It's because yeah. um, I, I can't recall seeing extreme close-ups like that in, in a lot of modern movies, especially a action movie like this. Yeah. So it just yeah, you know, a, a good tight close shot of the eyes. That seems to be a very sort of seventies. I think of Sergio Leone. I think of seventies westerns. Yeah, so yeah. The bad and the ugly. That shootout where it's just going from eyes to eyes to eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, Leone. You, you don't see that a lot. You don't see that a lot these days. Mm-mm. No, and it's a- everything's. Ca- kind of a mid shot these days i find most things are kind of a you know like regular movies like yeah. comedies and stuff it's all just a bunch of brightly lit mid shots pretty much and, uh, until you get into like the denis villeneuve kind of milieu of directors that where you got these more artistic sort of films but yeah but i'm, I'm glad it's there because I, I really like that shot and yeah. uh, you know it makes it makes sark a really big threat yeah you got a, there's yeah. a lot of Sark there. Oh boy, a that's a of lot Sark. of Sark. <laughs> and then, so after a pause, Sark grumpily slaps his palm down on the restore, reset, open, exit button on the bridge panel, wonderfully represented in lines that arc up and fork by a shape that looks like the yellow door to the arena. These dashboard graphics here are just—they're just fantastic. They're so good. I would love to have a, a dashboard like this. Oh yeah, awesome. That'd be awesome. And then uh, all the rings re-res with sweet sounds as guards lead Flynn off of his platform and we get the military snare drum rolls again as he's marched out. And, oh man, we get one of my favorite shots in the film here. We get this awesome wide shot of both arenas again, uh, both both of the circle platforms. And they, they, they de-res from the inside out concentrically yeah. with like white curved crescent cursors that just just like erase them back and forth in circles and yeah. uh, that's that's pretty good but the one thing is is that they those eraser cursors go up both bridges that uh that that Flynn and the guards are walking on and the film cuts right before it gets to their feet but it is plainly going to erase the bridge underneath them before they make it to the door <laughs> it's like whoops and it cuts away and you're like wait a second yeah they Hold just on. all plunge to their deaths right but so I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, it's uh, it it's a great sequence in this movie. Uh, you know, in less than three minutes, we have, you know, it's it starts with a black stage. Yeah. Um, you have this contest. You have drama. You have several important characters, and then you know they exit, and you know we see the lights start to to turn off. So it's. Yeah, it's it's like a nice compact little story within the bigger story. 
Yeah, it's almost yeah, it's a short film unto itself. Aside from the, uh, I guess aside from the interaction with Sark, because you kind of need to know what's going on there. But if it was just the two of them battling, you know, to the death or something like that, starts in black, ends in black. It's a great little sort of self-contained scene, little movie into itself. So Sark fumes in silent frustration and defeat, and uh, and then. Flynn gets taken to a grid version of the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. <laughs> a very, very, very red room with a, a fuchsia stripe or two. And uh, a guard says, this is the holding area for the light cycles. Ram sees Flynn and says, hey, Flynn, you made it. Just as a guard gives Flynn a shock in the back with his crazy staff causing gold electricity to spark an arc around Flynn's chest with a grunt and the guard says wait here and that's uh, all that electricity is just again ancient animators at Disney who've been doing electricity sparks for the last 40 years you know just what, painting on the frames let's do some electricity it's but it is in my opinion a uh, a wonderful 80s movie trope just yeah. My favorite movies have uh, have lightning bolts at it or electricity. You know, I think it starts <laughs> with the emperor, yeah, and yeah. and uh, or no, it, that would be this is before the emperor. So uh, you know, where does it start? But yeah, I mean, uh, Big Trouble in Little China has these awesome blue lightning bolts. That's right. Yeah, it sure and does. Ghostbusters, and they're. Uh, you know, and the illusion is they're they're kind of these neon colors. Um, but yeah, I've I if a movie has uh, an electrical arc of some kind that has been animated, it's it becomes my favorite '80s movie. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would concur with that. Every time some some lightning shows up, I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, here we go, here we go, yeah, 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 yeah. good, good. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the joys of going to see movies in this era was was the special effects and the novelty of the special effects. And, yeah. the, you know, everybody was trying to outdo everybody else. So it mm-hmm. would be, hey, Star Trek Two has this, uh, you know, this computer animated uh, sequence. Um, That's right. Uh Return of the Jedi has uh, the most spaceships ever processed in a shot. You know, there's that the, when the the shot when the Tie Fighters and the Imperial, you know, it's a trap. You know, there's some like I think I can't remember the number, but they were they were all out to outdo each other and top each other. And what you were saying, you know, they were learning as they were going, so it was. Hey, we in this movie we did this. We could try it in this movie, and you know it's all pre CGI and it's it's uh, it's NASA stuff. You know, yeah, it was a, it was a very magical time. Yeah, they're pushing the outside of the special effects envelope, and this is a sterling example of that. And that was yeah. one reason why it was so exciting to see it in the movie theater on a big screen. You were yeah. s- literally seeing things you'd never seen before. Yeah, it's a shame because it didn't do well, and a lot of the development that they did for this film just stopped. Like, it, it didn't do well, so Disney was like, oh, well. And the sort of applications of the of the computer software that they'd made for this film that the people are honestly only just doing now. Right. You know, like, 10 years later, they started doing a lot more digital stuff that had already been prototyped on Tron. Like, they could have just started doing more digital movies right after Tron. But because it didn't do very well and it was a weird Oscars snafu where they didn't even give it an Oscar because they thought computer animation was cheating. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it just kind of, it was too early. I think it was just too early. Like it came, it suffered from coming out in that concentrated glut of awesome movies. So I think people had to make choices. Yeah. They it's, chose E.T. Yeah. They chose Star Trek 2 and they didn't choose Blade Runner or The Thing or Tron. And uh, And I think it was just maybe a little too 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 early because i don't think computers were as widespread as they were later and yeah yeah but the irony is it's it's it has a it's a prophetic movie and it it inspired uh, a generation yeah uh you know it's it's i i love the fact that you are a game and an animator in the gaming business and 
boy, you saw this movie at the right time, didn't you? I sure did. I sure did. And it goes for a lot of people. There's a lot of special effects people that saw, you know, there's like a couple of seminal turning point movies that people saw as kids and then decided, okay, I want to do that. Right. And Tron's one of them. Like Tron is one of those movies that made a lot of people say, you know what? I want to be a programmer. You know, or I want to be an animator, or I want to make yeah. games because this is fantastic. And, yeah, you know, they, they cite this as an influence and an inspiration. Absolutely, and and you know something else uh, is I feel like yeah, while we've mentioned some some flaws in in some of the effects or some some gas, yeah. you know, I think this movie still looks real. The effects of this oh, movie still look really crisp a, yeah. and sharp. I've got and, a, I got a Blu-ray of it to do research on this project, so I got oh, a, nice. a good Blu-ray and a, on the on a big screen. You're just like, God, this is beautiful! Wow, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's an art film in a sense, and yeah. uh, the effects are not dated. I I was just watching a sequence. So it's uh, um, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Two years later, yeah. Ghostbusters, and you know if you know about that movie, they were absolutely rushing through the effects. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you see some uh, some pretty obvious matte lines. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, same thing. Another another movie from that year, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You see some uh, effects that look, by today's standards, uh, not so great. Not so a great. Little ropey. A yeah, little ropey. A little ropey. And. Uh, that's one thing you got to say about this movie. They did it. They did it right, and they did it right the first time. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, here we are, decades later, right? Talking right. about it, we're tearing it apart. Yep. Uh, yep. So Ram says, "Well, we're inspecting it. Tearing it apart is not the. This is a, this is a Tron love minute, not a Tron hate minute." That's <laughs> So Ram says, you won, just as Flynn stops in front of Tron and his jaw drops because he thinks he's seeing someone he recognizes because this is the first time he sees Tron full on in the face. Uh, but we'll have to wait until the next minute to see who Flynn thinks he is. Because like, they, they shared a cell, but Flynn uh, Tron's back was to Flynn. In, uh, uh, in yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I... I, I saw the expression but it didn't it didn't click that it was recognition yeah he's like what now in an earlier version of this game uh of this movie in an earlier version of the movie we see the ring game earlier in the movie but it has this like five-story version of sark playing against a much smaller weaker opponent and uh it was also shown in the, the the montage of flynn training to get better and it was in the the video game Tron Evolution Battle Grids, and it was called Hyperball. And then, uh, yeah, so it wasn't in the actual arcade video game, but I don't know how they could have made it. <laughs> and then it was cool. And the differences between the novel and the screenplay in the novel, uh, Flynn's refusal to throw his ball has effects in the real world. Like, two kids are playing a video game in a bus station, and they're stabbing at the fire button, going, like, what's wrong with it? I don't know. It's on the blink or something. It's not working. And they're, they're hitting the controls in the machine with the, with the heels of their hands because the game is paused all of a sudden because Flynn has decided to not throw the killing ball. So this is not just an arena. This is an actual game that's being played by people. I think I lo- it was... Oh, it was kind of, I think it was kind of wise of them to cut that, but what do you think? I like the concept a lot because I got to admit, I have mixed feelings about the whole Wizard of Oz aspect of, you know, I, you know, I had this, I went on this adventure and you were in it and you were in it and you were in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I, I, uh, yeah, I kind of go back and forth. That up. Yeah. Um, but I think I would have liked it better if they had followed that idea of it being more symbiotic. Yeah. That, um, you know, uh, say, for example, uh, you know, Tron is seriously, or, you know, a better example, you know, you know, Ram 
is mortally wounded later. Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler and, alert. Yeah, and then um, I'm forgetting the name of uh, his character, but you know he like, uh, you know he's in his cubicle and he gets a shock. He feel you know it, it resonates with him. Right. He, you know I don't think you go as deeply as as the the character in the real world dies, but I think if um if you have a little more of the symbiotic connection, you know. Later on, Tron and Alan actually communicate back and forth. Yeah. Um, It's an interesting, like, that would have been cool to have because, well, it opens up a bit of a can of worms, though, because, like, if if these kids are playing the game, then are are the programs following the routines and urges being fed to them from the buttons that are being hit on the game? Yeah. You know, or or do they have free will? <laughs> right? Like are users the only people that can refuse an order from a game? Like who's who's controlling who? So once you get into that's not quite what you were talking about, but I like I like your idea of like something going wrong with RAM and then RAM's programmer is at a dinner party somewhere and he just gets this look on his face like huh. I yeah. Feel c- confused and lost and weird right now. I wonder what's going on. So maybe if it, you know, even if they're unaware of the symbiosis, the, the symbiosis that's going on, then that would have been a neat touch. I think it might have been yeah. a different, might have been a different movie, but very different a, movie, maybe. very different movie. I could, I could see in a modern sense, they go overboard. You know, the, you know, the stakes in this movie are in this, primarily in this. Uh, com- this uh, computer reality, it yeah. does affect the real world, but it's it's secondary. Uh, yeah, the the real world is is a copyright infringement law, and the real world is the MCP maybe invading the Kremlin or the Pentagon. Yeah. You know, like that's there's some real world stuff happening there. But yeah, you're right; it's not one to one. It's not directly tied to this adventure in any yeah, sort of. I- I can see an overly ambitious script where, you know, the MCP becomes more like Skynet. And, yeah. you know... Well, you, that's where it's headed. That's where it's headed, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you you have the obligatory cut back to the real world and, like, uh, there's a massive blackout. We don't know what's going on. You know, there's a, you know, there's been a, an electromagnetic uh, yeah. interference. And, oh, no, the, wor- the world is in danger. Both worlds are in danger. It's like, no, yeah. this is... Well, I'm kind of, I, those those kind of movies do kind of get on my nerves when that when the yeah. fate of the world hangs in the balance. I'm like, okay, I wonder yeah. if we'll die. You know, like I don't know. But one yeah. thing that was here was in as Crom falls in the screenplay. As Crom is falling, uh, there's a shot from below Flynn looking up, and we can see the huge face of the MCP in the ceiling looking down at the game. So that would have been dra- great directly observing and then when sark goes to press the button his hand shakes and he strains as he's being like physically held back from pressing the button by an invisible force like the mcp is like don't you dare press that button right and 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 uh sark is saying like no you said he could die in the games you know like he's in the games (laughs) so i can kill him if he's in the game you know like and mcp is like nope 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 and then, uh, then he's sort of forced to hit the let them out button, which is kind of like he's technically right. Like if he dies, you know, he's in the yeah. arena, you know. But so, but for some reason, the MCP is dead set on having Flynn die in the games, yeah. which I'm not entirely clear on why the MCP is so dead set on having Flynn die in the games. Yeah, again, it it, it there's aspects of it that get a little vague. That yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they're only they're only creating uh, this you know fantastic alternate universe, but they you know they can't explain everything. Um, uh, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, I, again, I, I another thing I go back and forth on is you know they they create this visually amazing uh, world, but then they kind of they have to have some kind of a foundation to put it all on it and it basically becomes a gladiator movie yeah yeah well and, it, like, Lisberger says it was very much inspired by spartacus oh yeah yeah you yeah. definitely see spartacus and you know also ben hur you yeah. know and that there, there's there's another place where you have you know the the slave is an american actor 
the slave master is a British actor and sure, you know, sure, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that really, you know, yeah, you know, if, if, if Steve Lisberger uh, borrowed from Spartacus, well, he only borrowed from, um, uh, Kirk Douglas and, uh, Lawrence Olivier. So that's not too that's bad. Really like, I am Tron. I am Tron. I yeah. am Tron. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, you know, for simplicity's sake, sure, why not? But on the other hand, yeah. uh, well, I think that's why some people remember this film as a kind of a paint by numbers, family friendly, uh, simple plot Disney movie, right? Like looking deeper into it, the philosophical ramifications of like, what is life? Who are we? What is creation? Even like, who is God? You know, like these are all aspects that are in there. And what we do to frontiers, how we pollute frontiers, how we pervert frontiers, how power corrupts, like all this stuff is in the movie. But the central trapping of it is, like you said, just kind of a basic gladiator movie. So I think if the higher aspects of it don't hit you, then you just remember it as being a fairly two-dimensional film. And yeah. uh, that's, a, that's too bad. I think that's really too bad because the depth is there but it wasn't, I think, showcased in a way that people remember it. Because the visuals override anything that's happening, <laughs> you know, coming out of anybody's mouths. Like, people remember the light cycles and the, the the disc fights, you know. Agreed. Agreed. I think if, you know, even just a couple more scenes where they explore, yeah. um, you know, the more esoteric exam or uh, um, something like that. Or the, uh, not esoteric, the existential aspects of, you know, this bold new frontier. Yeah. But it's at the same time, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, still it's a great, uh, yeah, it's still a yeah. good movie. It didn't, it didn't fail. You know, it just, no. it's, just, it's just a bit of a shame, but that brings us up to the end of minute 42. There we go. It's been a fun ride. It's been anyway, a that, great ride. Yeah. Even though we didn't really ride anything, light cycles are coming up next. <laughs> That's but, right. It's uh, just about to go into the light cycles. Uh, so. But this, yeah, but Hyperball has been just fine with me. Yeah. Uh, got to admit, you got, I, you got the uh, you got the Hyperball minutes, man. You got them. Yeah, no complaints there. No complaints there. Got to admit, I before coming onto the podcast, didn't get to watch the whole movie. Uh, definitely watched some clips. Watch my clips. Definitely want to see this movie and and again, especially that Blu-ray. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's it's a good looking film. It has aged very well. It really has. It really has. So do you want to, uh, one more time, tell people where they can find you or if you have any other podcasts you want to plug? Sure, sure. Uh, once again, I am, uh, you can find me on 5 Minutes of Trouble and 5 Minutes of Bonsai with my friend and co-host Josh Horowitz where we dissect and investigate the adventures of Jack Burton and uh, his battles every with time, every time, you, every time you say Jack Burton, I want to say, who? <laughs> right. That was played by Kurt Russell, uh, a guy who could, I think, have also played Kevin Flynn. Or, uh, I guess, you know, no, no offense to Bruce Boxleitner, but how about Kurt Russell as Tron? Yeah, I think that would have been just fine. But no, but you know, Bruce has the job. Bruce did fine. Uh, yeah, so we got five minutes of trouble. Uh, where we do the uh, weekly digest version of your movies by minute, and then five minutes of bonsai. Uh, and in both of those movies, we talk about awesome blue matte painting uh, lightning bolts, of which there are quite a few. So, and uh, and I'll shout out once again to uh, uh, my wife, Audrey Wolfman. She's got a great new podcast called Speak Easily versus the Eighties, where they dive deep into Eighties uh, movie lore. And come up with movies like oh, Streets of Fire, also from the summer oh, of 1984. God. Streets of Fire, that's got some like next level elemental uh, Willem Dafoe going yeah. on in that movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was hip waiters uh, and a shirtless with hip waiters and a sledgehammer, and he's like what 22 or something. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, movie. he steals that picture. Because a uh, quick story, when I saw that in the theaters, um, yeah, just kind of rolling with it. Definitely enjoyed that movie. Michael Pere, not the worst leading man, but, you know, just kind of yeah. just kind of going through the motions. Serviceable. Uh, 
serviceable bad, a serviceable good guy in my opinion. But when you see uh, Willem Dafoe as Raven, I remember saying, "Who is that guy?" Yeah, and you know, is that all make? Is that his real nose? Is yeah, that his real chin. Yeah. Uh, are they are they doing a Batman movie? Are they really going to do it? Because I'd cast that guy as the Joker in a New York Minute. Yeah. Um, and uh, and quick, they cast him as the Green Goblin, and they totally messed it up by covering that awesome face in a mask. You didn't need to. He's he is I, his own mask. Just uh, just paint it green, and then there you go. You've got it. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, Streets of Fire, a good one, and a, a really beautiful movie. It had some really fra- problems, but <laughs> good flick. So, yeah, check out Speak Easily versus The 80s, if you dare. And if you want to get in touch with us, go on over to TorontoLogicallySpeaking.com, and we're on Twitter at TorontoLogicallySpeaking, or send us an email at TorontoLogicallySpeaking at gmail.com, or go to Facebook for the Logically Speaking Minute-by-Minute Listeners page. Um, go on over to Pond5.com if you want to get some music. And special thanks to the Star Wars Minute. I recommend going to moviesbyminutes.com, checking out the Star Wars Minutes, seeing if your favorite movie is there, such as Buckaroo Banzai or Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, if your favorite movie isn't there, there's a possibility that it's not there. Then consider (laughs) doing one of these yourself. And if it is there, do another one. Do a different version and talk about different things because everybody's got their own take on the movie that they love. And it's a very inclusive community so come on out come on out and play everybody's super duper nice i've had super nice super nice great one of my favorite experiences just meeting people like you duncan it's been a blast it's really great working with you for the past three days for that the past three days it's been an amazing three days yeah i appreciate it it was really good to meet you too brett do you want to do a little end of line on three oh yeah on three let's do it all right one two three End, End of the line. line. That was for you, David. <laughs>